0: I just want to thank everyone for such a warm welcome uh, that Melanie and I have had this weekend. Uh, Meadow is truly a beautiful town, and we've enjoyed uh, driving around it. We only got lost once. <laughs> but uh, you all have a beautiful town and a beautiful church. And uh, we uh, we were talking last night just about the sweet spirit, uh, the gospel that is here in this church. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for, for Bo and his desire to see not only the city of Metter but also to the ends of the world, to know the gospel. And so I'm grateful for that. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians. The book of Philippians, chapter 3. I like to tell, uh, tell folks that uh, one way to remember where Philippians is, the GE Power Company, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So if you find Galatians, then you're not that far away from Philippians. So the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And we'll start reading in verse seven. Philippians three seven. Paul says this. He says, "But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish." Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth. And that, Lord, through uh, the the preaching of your word, we get to know you deeper and deeper. And so, Lord, I pray right now that, Lord, your spirit would have, Lord, his way here right now. Lord, that I would decrease, that you may increase and be glorified in these next few moments. ask this in all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to give a full disclosure real quick, uh, full disclosure. Uh, The book of Philippians is my favorite uh, book of the New Testament. Uh, But I will tell you this, that changes whenever I do preach any other book. Uh, You might find me that multiple books are my favorite. But the book of Philippians has been uh, the joy in my life as a believer. I have found that this book to be a well that never runs dry as I've looked at it for over 10 years now and poured into it. And as I reread and I reread this glorious epistle, you see, Paul's words, to the church in Philippi continues to propel me forward to know my glorious savior, to know him, right? To know Christ and to savor him richly above all others. You see, I believe the point of this section here in Philippians three, this section here in Paul's letter is to show us the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of knowing Christ. That Christ would be supreme above all others. That Christ will be the seat of our joy. Not happiness, but joy. You see, happiness is fleeting. Happiness is the toy that you open up on Christmas. Y'all, y'all remember that? Even the kids, y'all are looking forward to Christmas right now, I'm sure. Y'all are, y'all are already going through the, uh, the Amazon wish list. But those toys, they satisfy you for, what, what two hours? It's fleeting. You said, I'm talking about joy, joy that feeds the soul, joy that sees Christ as the preeminence in your life, joy that in the midst of sorrow, Christ is enough. Joy that when life is going well, Christ is enough. The question you need to be asking yourself this morning, is Christ your joy? Right? I'm not talking about rhetoric. I'm not talking about Pinterest posts and Facebook Instagram whatnots. I'm talking that, about the fact that in your life, when you're by yourself, is Christ enough? Is Christ your joy? It's knowing Christ far better than the fleeting pleasures of this world. For the believer, it should. For the believer, Christ should be enough. And so if you just take away one thing this morning, if you zone me out right now, that's fine. I, no hard feelings, but I want you to take away the fact that you can't have joy in this life apart from Christ. You can't have joy apart from Christ. And so we're going to look at Philippians 3 this morning. If you're taking notes, just three simple points. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Salvation does not come by works. And then verses 7 through 9, we're going to see that salvation comes only from Christ. And then at the end of the, uh, end of the section that we read, 9 through 11, we'll see that salvation leads to a life lived in and for Christ. So let's dive right back into the text here. Look with me here in verse 7. Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What gain is he talking about here? He says, but whatever gain I had, what gain? We need to go back into the section of chapter 3. Look with me back in verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Well, we could just stay right there in just verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. And what does that look like? That looks like what we just did a few minutes ago as we read the Apostles' Creed, as we prayed and did confession, when we sang the gospel over each other, what a glorious moment that was for the church. I enjoyed singing the the beautiful hymns on Christ, the solid rock I stand. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul's heart here is that of a minister. I don't want to speak for Bo too much, but I want to say that both he and I have this heart that is of no trouble to us. No trouble to us at all to share the gospel with, you, with each and every one of you and to remind you of it. You see, Paul says here, he says uh, it is to remind you of the same things. You see, we're forgetful people. How many of y'all looked at the mirror this morning at least 20 times, right? To get the hair just right, make sure there was no breakfast left, you know, the cinnamon buns, get, all, get out of your beard for the guys that have beards. You see, we're forgetful people. We forget what we look like. And a lot of times we know the gospel, but we forget the gospel. And so Paul says, it's no trouble, no trouble at all to remind the church of this glorious nature. And then look with me here in verse two, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Wow. That's strong language here. You know, in verses one, Paul says in three times, be on the lookout. He says to be on guard, to be aware, to be aware of what he says, dogs, are you supposed to be afraid of Friday? Supposed to be afraid of old le- old Yeller and Lassie? No, you see, Paul, when he speaks of the dogs, he's speaking about those who would add to salvation. He would say that they are there are these people that are coming in and saying that true salvation doesn't come through Christ and Christ alone. Salvation comes through Christ, but not really. It comes from works. You see, Paul is writing this in the of a great danger that was here in the first century, and I would argue that there's a great danger of that here in this century is that of the Judaizers. You see, the Judaizers were a thorn in Paul's flesh as they would come into towns that had received the true gospel, that Jesus died in our place, and that to be, get, be forgiven of, of our sins meant to place your faith in Christ. And this was by faith and faith alone so that no man could boast. And these people, the Judaizers, they would add to the gospel saying that the true gospel came by receiving Christ and obeying the full law of Moses. They would add to it. They would say that the gospel was a works-based component. You don't have to turn there, but I do want to read Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Galatians 1, 6 through 10, Paul uses an even stronger language than look out for the dogs. Paul says here to the church in Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word "distort" there they uses to the church in Galatia is like that of a funhouse mirror. You guys have been in the fun mir- uh, funhouses before. The mirrors, those mirrors, they can take a uh, take a tall person and make them a, uh, make them a short person. They can take a big person and make them into a skinny person. They can make your head as big as a watermelon. They distort the image. That's what the Judaizers are doing to the gospel. They are distorting the image. Of the beautiful, glorious nature of Christ. Paul continues on in verse 8 of Galatia, in Galatians. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a, a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. That's strong language right there. You see, there is no other gospel. There is not a gospel in a workspace component. There is only one gospel that saves. And Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for those who would add to the gospel. And in verses 4 through 6 of Philippians, back in Philippians 3, Paul will argue why he, above all others, should receive a salvation by human means. Look with me here in the text. I'm not pulling this out of anything. Look with me in the text, verses 4 through 6. Paul says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love how Paul talks. He just He's going to argue that, hey, you think you have it going on? Watch this, I got it better. He says, circumcised on the eighth day for the people of Israel of a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul can look back and say, I am from the original 12 tribes of Israel. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he says this, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul showcased his own personal works to the believers in Philippi, showing that he is the one who has it going on in spades, that if there's anyone that could be saved by his works, Paul should be the one that's been saved. Look, he even says that he's blameless by human standards. So let's take this list and pull, pull it into our modern context. What Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, I grew up in the church. In fact, my parents and my grandparents went to this very church. And on this church is where I was born and where I will die. I go to church. I read my Bible every day. I pray without ceasing at all times. In fact, I listen to Christian radio all the time. My, you know, he's saying that, hey, anytime I'm in the car, I'm not listening to country music. I am listening to Chris Tomlin and Chris Tomlin only. That is what Paul is saying there. He says, I gave a tenth of my offering every Sunday, and I don't cuss, lie, smoke, drink, or go with those who do. You see, Paul is saying, I'm blameless. Do you see how works-based mentalities can lead to a thinking that you can earn salvation? You see, church, salvation, salvation does not come by maintaining a list of do's and don'ts, not keeping the letter of the law. None of us can achieve that. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes um, I like to uh, have fun with myself, and I like to sort of time myself to see how long I can go without sinning. You you guys ever do that? Right? Try to go how far you can, uh, you know, it it, it can look like, hey, my wife tells me not to eat eat the cookie. You know, five minutes, how long can I last that temptation of not eating the cookie, right? You know, how long can you last? Can you last five, ten minutes? Maybe even thirty? How much long until your flesh goes back to the very sin that you love? And you forget about Christ. You see, Paul would say this in Romans. He said, what hope is there for a wretched man that we are? But praise be to God, our Lord, for Jesus Christ. You see, salvation. Church, see that salvation does not come by works, merit, but rather through the completed works on the cross, completed works of Christ on the cross. You see, salvation doesn't come by us keeping a list of do's and don'ts and making sure that we check them off. Rather, salvation comes by faith, by believing on the completed works of Christ on the cross. Salvation comes only from Christ. Look with me at verses 7 through 9. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, remember the gains that he listed earlier, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Brother and sister, there is not another gospel that saves There's not a a gospel with a list of do's and don'ts. And if you follow them, that you'll be saved. Rather, that is not the gospel at all. That is the distortion, right? That is the distortion of the very cross of Christ. Now, please note here, okay, do not leave this this sanctuary, this service, and send a bunch of emails to Bo saying, Dave said, don't read your Bible. Dave said, don't pray. That is not what I'm saying. You see, Paul, in verses 4 through 6, I believe Paul would say that those were good things in his life but those good things don't save you. We should read our Bible and we should pray and we should come and be a part of the fellowship of believers. But if you think that your salvation comes from any of that, you're wrong. I stand on the authority of Scripture that you are wrong and you are lost in your sins. You see, the mindset that we call that is called legalism. and legalism is a mindset of no hope. Legalism is a workspace salvation that leads to believers who don't walk in victory, but in constant defeat, in constant fear that at one wrong move, God will smite you down where you stand. How do I know this mindset? I'm a recovering legalist. I'm one who lived like that. I'm one who lived, that is, if if I obeyed the list of do's and don'ts, then I would find salvation in God. That God would be pleased with me because that day I read my Bible and I prayed. And I, and I helped an old lady across the street. I did all the good things that you think are necessary for salvation. But legalism always left me with a void inside. I felt like God was always displeased with me. And one more sin would be the end of his grace. There would be also times, like I said, that I would wake up and I would be singing the songs to God and think, I must be saved because this is what, how a Christian feels like. A Christian should wake up and just sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, the saved a wretch. That's how a Christian should be, right? And then a few minutes later, I would feel the shame and guilt and the burden and weight of my sin. My heart was always in fear that God would at some point not love me. That was a dark time in my life. Thankfully, that is not the case now. I don't live in that mindset. I don't live by those burdens. I don't live in the in the weight of legalism. I don't live in the mindset that the gospel is Jesus plus something. The gospel is simply this, Jesus in my place. You see, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he lived the life that I could not live, and he died the death that I deserved. God, Jesus graciously took our sin and his death on the cross. And as the scripture says, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is why Paul can look at that list above and say all of that, all of it. I consider a loss for the sake of, of gaining Christ, that Christ is more to me than any of those accomplishments. How do you feel about that? Do you sit there and look at your list of do's and don'ts and see how you've checked them off? And you feel like those accolades are so gracious and so merciful and that is where your salvation is found? Or do you say with Paul that all of that is a loss for the sake of gaining Christ, for the sake of knowing Christ? You see, Paul says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When Paul says rubbish, all of those accolades, he says those are dung next to Christ. You see that word in Greek translates that word rubbish translates the word dung manure. He's looking at all those things being the Hebrew of Hebrew, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, the one who can trace his lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying all that is dung. How many of you guys like to step in dung? And he says, all of that, all of that is rubbish for the sake of gaining Christ, for the sake of knowing my Lord, for the sake of seeing that he is more precious and more worthy than anything this world has to offer. All of this world is but a fleeting moment, but Christ is forever. And Christ is my My joy, he is the preeminence of my life. Brother, sister, can you say that in your own life? Can you say that Christ is your joy? Or is your list of do's and don'ts your joy? You see, salvation is only found in Christ. So how does this practically look like in the life of a believer? I mean, this is great, great truth and great, great knowledge. But how does this look like in the life of an everyday individual? Well, I married my wife, Melanie, about a year and a half ago. We got married on March uh, 5th of 2016, and, you know, how did I marry such a beautiful woman? Because I talked to her, right? I had a relationship with her, right? We, we went on dates. We went, we went and had fun. We got to know each other. We got to go through life together. We, hadn't, we had a relationship, and then when I asked her to be my wife, she said yes. And then we walked through the, uh, the joys of the engagement period, the, the marital um, counseling So finally, when I got to see her walk down the aisle at Emmanuel and I got to see her for the first time in that beautiful white gown. But brother and sister, I didn't stop dating her after we said I do. I continue to date her. I continue to to talk to her. I continue to find out what's going on in her life. You see, for many of us, we think that if we just come to know Christ at the first time, when we say the, the, the prayer of salvation, we get baptized here and we have our name written in the church directory, and we know that where we're going to be buried, we think that's all we need. That's far from it. You see, the gospel is not just this beginning point of Christianity. The Christianity is the gospel. You see, it's, you can say it like this, that the gospel is not the diving board by which we jump into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the pool itself that we swim in, that we seek to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the love of Christ. We never grow bored of knowing more and more about Christ. You fall in love with Christ, the more this world will pale in comparison to the lights of his glory and grace. Do you struggle with your sin nature? Do you struggle with not watching what you shouldn't be watching? Do you struggle with anger? Do you struggle with impatience? Do you struggle with just doing the dishes and and loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Do you struggle with doing your homework or doing your work as unto the Lord? Let me tell you this. When you come to know Christ and love him in a deeper and deeper way, all of that will pale in comparison and it will fall by the wayside and you will see that the fleeting pleasure of sin has nothing compared to knowing Christ. When you see Christ and you love him and you go after him, the sin that you think will satisfy you doesn't satisfy you anymore. But rather Christ will satisfy forever. Because that is who He is. He is the well that never runs dry. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the one that can can satisfy the soul. You see, salvation doesn't come by works. But rather, salvation comes only and only in Christ alone. Let's move on to verses 9-11. through And we'll see here that salvation leads to a life. Lived in and for Christ. Not only do we find salvation in Christ, but we find that it leads us to a life lived in and for Christ. Finally, salvation does not come by works, but through Christ and Christ alone. If we believe that salvation, uh, if we believe in that salvation, it moves us to walk in the power of the Spirit. Look with me here in verse nine and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law which is from works-based salvation, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I love this. You catch this. God does not just give us salvation and then tell us to live a good life, right? God doesn't just uh, you know, pat us on the head and say, okay, now go live life. He doesn't do that. You see, we have a God who graciously gives us His righteousness and helps us walk in it. You see, we don't walk in this life by our own strength and by our own merit, but rather we walk in the very fullness of Christ's righteousness. We walk in his power. Christ helps us to walk in this new life. Paul does not want to be found walking in his own power, but that of Christ, not resting on his works, but on the very solid rock of Christ's righteousness, the song that we just sang that we stand on the solid rock of Christ and we stand on his righteousness. Let me share something that still astonishes me to this day. When I think about this, I get all excited because it, it just excites my heart to propel myself to love Christ more. You see, in Christ, watch this, in Christ, God does not see a week where I lost my patience on the road. God did not see a week where I looked at a coworker and I cut my eye at them. God did not see a week where I didn't love my wife the way that he loves her and the way he gave himself up for her. You see, in Christ, God sees the completed works of Christ. You see, God sees that I faced temptation and I overcame it by his power. God sees that for 40 days and 40 nights I fasted. God sees that by the very letter of the law, I fulfilled it to the T because why? Christ's work is now my work. I now rest in the full righteousness of God. I rest on the full, completed works of Christ. It's no longer my life, but rather Christ in me. You see, this is a beautiful part about salvation. It is called gift righteousness, that Christ's righteousness is imputed in our lives. I shared this with the students at Emmanuel the other day. In all analogies, trust me, all analogies, they break down after a while. So please, don't, don't go home and think through this in a deep way, okay? Promise me that. It's like two, plate, two pieces of Play-Doh. You take, uh, you take red Play-Doh and you take yellow Play-Doh. The red Play-Doh represents Christ. Yellow Play-Doh represents us. And you take it and you start to mold it together. What happens? That Play-Doh, it becomes one, one color, right? Now, please, don't, like I said, don't take that home and think through the greater deep works of that. that that's not worth it. But rather, that is what happens in our life when Christ righteousness, it becomes our own and our life is now found in Christ. You see, we traded places, the great exchange, and Paul says that this glorious righteousness that we don't deserve does not come from the works of the law, but through faith in the completed works of Christ. On the cross, on the cross, Jesus did not say it's almost finished. You guys will not have to earn merit to get my father's love. No, he said it is finished. And the believer rests on this great truth. That idea of resting on that great truth is like when you sit on a chair and you trust that that chair is going to hold your weight and you rest on that chair. We rest on the completed works of Christ. And Paul doesn't stop there. Paul wants to know his great Savior more intimately than the day before. I remember an old saint that I had the privilege of working with for about 10 years ago, Reverend Bob Coates at Fuquay Baptist Church. I remember a staff meeting one time. Pastor Chris was asking us what we hoped to see that year in our own life. And Bob, he was about... 73 74 something like that and i can remember bob saying i want to know christ more intimately than i did the day before and 10 years ago and 20 30 years ago he was a man who's been walking with the lord for eight since he was 18 years old and he said i want to know christ more deeper and more richer than i've ever known before that's what that idea looks like of saying that i want to gain more of christ And Paul says in verse 10 and 11, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Church, that term power of his resurrection. Did you know that the same spirit that lives inside of us is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead? The same spirit that spoke in Christ's rise is the same spirit that lives in us today. We don't walk this road by ourselves. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We walk in the power of the resurrection power. We should not feel as if we are defeated. No, we are more than conquerors through Christ. We don't feel condemned in our sin. Why? Because Christ was condemned for us. Rather, we walk in victory every day. We should not be a church. We should not be a church that is mopey and like Eeyore and just feel down and out. No, we look in victory and we sing about the glorious nature of the gospel. We share it. We live in it. We believe in it. That's the glorious nature of the gospel. And that's the power of the resurrection that we walk in every day. Do you walk in that? Or do you walk like Eeyore? Are you a bunch of Eeyore Christians? You go, okay, yeah, I've sinned today, and yeah, but God will forgive me. No, you say, God forgave me. Oh, gracious Lord, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. Lord, I want to live my life for you. It looks like this. It looks like the idea that when you've been saved by someone, you don't go, oh, well, yeah, okay. Case in point, I don't like spiders. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you guys up front, I don't do spiders. It doesn't matter how big it is. It can be the size of a little thing, or it can be this big. I don't do them. My wife does. She kills them. (laughs) We have a deal in our house. I kill everything else, but she kills the spiders. And that is also not any help for any practical jokes you might be thinking right now. Please, don't do them. Love me in Christ. Don't do them. But what happens is that my wife kills the spider, and I rejoice. I am so happy. (laughs) She kills it, and I go, yes! Yes! I don't have to deal with it anymore. That's how we should be with Christ. We look and we see see that He took the fullness of the wrath of God, that He drank the cup, He slammed it down, said, it is finished. I have forgiven them of their sins. All they have to do is trust in Me. All they have to do is believe in Me. Rest in My strength. Rest in My power. Let the righteousness of Myself be their righteousness. Just trust in that. And then we do this. We walk in that power and we say, because of my great glorious Savior, because of his great love in my life, I now live for Christ. So that I may gain Christ and I walk in the power of that resurrection. And that should give us courage each and every day, each and every day that we rise. And when we go to sleep, we go, how can I live with my Lord today? And God himself is walking with us each and every day. That is the power of Christ in me. That I can't do these things, but Christ in me can. And then Paul finishes up. He says, and the power of the Spirit. Look with me here. He says in verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, which we just talked about. And he says, may share in His sufferings. Do you suffer for Christ? Are you willing to take a stand for Christ? When someone says something at at work and Uh, You know you shouldn't laugh at that joke. Do you laugh at it anyways because you want to feel included? Or are you willing to take a stand for Christ and say, hey, that's not right. I'm not going to laugh at that. You see, how we can share in His sufferings is by the power of His resurrection. And then He says this, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, the power of the Spirit is what helps us to embrace the sufferings that come for the sake of Christ. And we're walking by the resurrection power when we walk in that power. We endure the sufferings. Excuse me. We endure the sufferings that come by bearing the name of Christ. We run the race with endurance so that we may attain, as Paul says, the resurrection from the dead. Basically, what he's saying is that he wants to hear one day from the Savior. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you live like that? Or do you love this world more than Christ? We're going to finish up here and I'm going to pray. But I want you to be thinking, where are you on this road? Do you work in the mindset that you can gain the love of Christ by a workspace mentality? That if you just do a list of do's and don'ts, you're going to satisfy the full wrath of God? Or do you walk in the joy of the Spirit? Do you walk in the joy and knowledge that Christ has done all that is necessary for you to come to know Him? That He has done all that's necessary to take the sin, the shame, and guilt that is in our lives. That though our sins be as scarlet, He has made us white as snow. Do you walk in that? I know there's a business meeting afterwards. Whatever. If you don't know Christ, please take the time today. Today is the day of salvation. Bo will be here. Others will be here in the deacon body. And they can answer any questions that you have about who this Christ is, how you can have the fullness of joy in knowing Christ, how you can have the forgiveness that comes from knowing Christ, how you can finally be at rest and let go of the burdens of trying to satisfy God by just instead just trusting in God. Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, I thank you that you have done all that is necessary for us, for salvation. Lord, we don't rest on anything that we have done. Lord, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would be a church that would say that we want to know you. We want to gain more of you. That we want to let go of the, the fleeting pleasures of this world so that we may gain more of you. And that looks like by trusting in, in Christ for salvation and salvation alone. Lord, let us not be a people that speaks boldly of ourselves, but rather let us boast in Christ because you are worthy of it. Lord, have your way in this time. In Christ's name, amen.